Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sigona, the newly espoused Mary Haddix Hermans, and Sean Rimkunis. And we are joined today by our, by our platinum member friend, Nick Harriel. Sean, Mary, and I, and Nick, believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Mary. I'll say the quote of the day in a second, but yes, I did get married. Thanks, Hunter, for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, and today's quote of the day for Nick is, I may never find all of the answers. I may never understand why. I may never prove what I know to be true, but I know I still have to try. And that's from Dream Theater. And that is correct, and that is the topic of discussion for today. And Dream Theater is an American progressive metal rock band formed in 1985 under the name Majesty by John Petrucci, John Myung, and Mike Portnoy, while they attended Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. They subsequently dropped out of their studies to concentrate further on the band that would eventually become Dream Theater. Their current lineup consists of Petrucci, Myung, vocalist James Labrie, keyboardist Jordan Rudis, and drummer Mike McGinney. Over the various lineup changes, Petrucci and Myung have begun only two constant members. Portnoy remained with the band until 2010 when he left to pursue other musical endeavors, and he has since been replaced by Mangini. After a brief stint with Chris Collins, followed by Charlie Domencini, who was dismissed from Dream Theater not long after the release of their first album, the Brie was hired as the band's singer in 1991. Dream Theater's first keyboardist, Kevin Moore, left the band after three albums and was replaced by Derek Sheeranin in 1995 after a period of touring. After just one album with Sheeranin, they replaced him with current keyboardist Jordan Rudis in 1999. date uh dream theater has released 15 15 studio albums the band's highest selling release is their second album images and words that's pretty much what i expected uh which reached number 61 on the billboard 200 chart both the albums awake in 94 and six degrees of inner turbulence 2002 also entered the charts at number 32 and 46 respectively and received critical acclaim. Their fifth album, Metropolis Part Two Scenes from a Memory in 1999, was ranked number 95 on the October 2006 issue of Guitar World's magazine's list of the greatest 100 guitar albums of all time. It was also ranked as the 15th greatest concept album in March 2003 by Classic Rock Magazine. As of 2018, Dream Theater has sold over 12 million records worldwide and has received three Grammy Award nominations, including one win in 2022. All right, 2022, let's go. Uh, along with, along with uh, Queensryche and Fate's Warning, the band has been referred to as one of the big three of the progressive metal genre, responsible for its development and popularization. All right, you guys ready to talk Dream Theater? All right, Indeed. Here we go. Okay, all right, and welcome to season 10. I said it correct, season 10 of Music Speaks. <laughs> Uh, we're starting uh, in late November. So excited to see y'all here. We took a break this summer and you had a lot of episodes to get through. You're probably like, why aren't we finally going to get like new episodes? You've been getting new episodes every week. We have just haven't been filming for a while. So this is just a brand new season for us. So excited. And, you know, I went through my Rolodex. I said, who have we not talked in a while? And I said, you know, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Hario. I said, if we don't really get enough of him enough, 
of him on this podcast, I said to Hunter. Hunter screamed, why are you screaming at me? And I said, <laughs> stop it. I'm not There's screaming. No and he said, yes, I am. So There we, is no such thing as enough of you. That is correct. There is no enough of me. There is just me. I'm um, I have, I've had enough of you. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, we, we, we have... Oh, we there have, it was. We, we have well, done not, no time, time to end this. <laughs> we have done nine seasons of podcasts together, so I yeah. guess that, that does warrant a, an arrest at some point. But um, it's really important to talk about what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about Dream Theater, and specifically with Dream Theater, the uh, title track, the longest song of the album, clocking in about 24 minutes, Octavarian, is a song with a theme that everything ends where it begins. It can also be considered a giant nod to progressive metal as a whole, and particularly in the progressive rock world of the top three in the genre. My friend, I am so excited to talk about it today, and I will start out with this. The first seven minutes of this piece, and I repeat, the first seven minutes of this piece is so open, so crazy, that I started typing for about five minutes and I thought I was talking about a guitar, but I was not. Uh, in actuality, it is a fingerboard. Uh, basically, like one of those, like, I'm not sure exactly. You guys know what I mean when I, like, when they, when you raise the pitch and it's like one of those, like, uh, what are those called? The, uh, um, you know, those instruments where you can, like, raise and lower pitches based on frequency. I know, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the theremin? A theremin, that's right. So I thought it was basically a theremin, oh. but is it basically a fingerboard? But the opening, Nick, the opening seven minutes to me sounds incredibly like open and spacious. So I wanted to ask your opinion about what that meant to you. I mean, yeah, uh, the first, you know, seven minutes, I, I guess you would call it section one, mm. um, is very, uh, See, I I put that it's almost a little bit like spacey in a way, very much like out there. Um, you know, it it starts off like very um very calm, and mm -hmm. you know, I I think you had written here it's kind of sci-fi, and that's kind of the um. You know, it's it's it kind of almost it's like a bit like space music, mm. um, and I think if the and we'll get into this a bit, but um a bit more, but the song you know is the the concept of the song is it's somebody who's been in a coma for a really long time for over thirty years and they're just kind of coming out of it. So this like first seven minutes could kind of be like interpreted in a way as the person like initially gradually waking out of the coma uh, especially because it, it just starts off really like really slow and soft and then you know more stuff to, starts to be introduced towards uh, you know the five six minute mark. Hunter? Yeah, it was funny. I was looking, or not looking, I was listening to the piece, and the the first thing that struck me, and this is going to seem odd coming from me, but Nick, are, I'm curious, are you a fan of John Anderson? Uh, I'm not sure if, are you talking about like an artist? Yeah, the, uh, the, okay. the well, I don't, actually, I don't know if he's a oh, guitarist. Wait, wait, or if he's, I, I think I I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he was like a 70s, 80s, actually progressive rock group. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of him. I don't think I've listened to much of his stuff, so I can't really give my opinion on that. Ah, the only reason I ask is because the beginning of this piece, the first, like, I'm going to say maybe you know, three minutes or so, four minutes, it bears a striking resemblance, not necessarily like like identical, but I mean the tone, the the tonality of it, the style, the feel is very much. They had a, a famous album called Elias of Sun Hillow, and um, okay. 
The only reason I know that is because my father and his sister are huge fans. That was like their age group growing up. Mm -hmm. And so I know the album. It's actually a pretty cool album. Um, But it sounds so much like this piece. That's the first thing I thought of when I started listening to it. You know, the ethereal feel of it, the echo effect. I mean, it's very, very much like that. So I was just curious because if you like this, I imagine you might like his stuff as well. Right, I will have to look more into him, and you know, I'm sure, um, you know, I don't know whether or not that was intentional on Dream Theater's part, mm-hmm. but I'm, sh- I would not be shocked if that that was indeed the case, that it was a nod. Nod, yeah, it could have been yeah. right. It could have been because I know Anderson was very, very uh, influential in the development of that particular genre, which this seems yeah. to be related to. Yeah. Um, the other thing that struck me was after that point, I, I felt like dystopia. I don't know if anyone else had that same feel or not, but Mary, yeah, you're agreeing with yeah. me. Yeah, I give you that one. Yeah. It's just sort of the the feel that I got when the guitars came in or what uh, what appeared to sound like the guitar at, at about three yeah. and a half minutes. Um, very like 70s, 80s movie or like a indie film or something like i don't know it just had a very specific vibe to me yeah um so i don't know if it struck you the same way mary mary how about you oh sorry um well i mean nick is right it it was written as uh you can you can hear him coming out of the coma in the Mm -hmm. this first section and i agree with you um i do know a little bit about john anderson and i think i know the album you're talking about Mm-hmm. Um, it is very reminiscent. Um, but one really interesting thing about this section, um, that I found, um, and it has to be the first thing I say, but, uh, <laughs> the performance of the keyboardist, if you watch the video, um, the way that he has to emote or he not has to, it, like he emotes while he plays, um, yeah. he's like screaming silently every time his finger goes up to the end of the fingerboard, which by the yep. way, that is a Haken, um, uh, it's a Haken continuum, um, which are beautiful instruments. Um, but the way that he makes those sounds at the beginning, he's mushing his fingers around this, like, um, it's not mesh or it's kind of rubbery and it looks like a piano keyboards color. That's it's red and black. But um, you take your finger and you just literally, it's like wiping glass almost, or rubber. Um, but you can just wiggle it all around. And if you take it up and down the keys, it'll do the, the wah sounds. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, I think for me, this was one of my favorite parts of the whole tune. Um, and I really liked the rhythmic section near the end a lot. Um, but it, it just, it makes you want to wake up. And um, he starts, you know, kind of quiet near the lower end of the board. Nick is right. And along the course of it, he keeps going up and up, but he'll restart. Um, yeah. Like four minutes in, he does all these swells up to the top and he'll bring it back down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And go all the way up to like the root. Um, and uh, he uses the entire width of the keyboard during just the opening. Like he goes from the highest point on it all the way to the lowest. He touches all four corners of that board at one point. Um, Hmm. And I think it's really neat just to talk about the versatility of electronic instruments, um, which, you know, we'll get into as well, I'm sure, because metal (laughs) uses them. (laughs) Um, But it's neat to see this coming out of something that was written in like 92. Um, Yeah. Well, no, this song was not written in 92, though. Wait, which one? Was, what year was Octavarium released? Uh, Octavarium was 2005. 2005. Yeah, I was thinking of the album cover. Yeah, the, um, the other one we're going to be going into is 92. Yeah, because the, the Haken, um, the instrument itself, I'm not sure it was even out that early. So that's why I was a little confused. I'll find the year on that. But I, I really loved this section. There's so much emotion in it. There is. And Nick, you know what's also interesting about this piece is the way the transitions seamlessly move into one or the other. I think it's yeah. amazing. Um, do you do you want to talk about that a little bit with like transitions and stuff like that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I think in most music, you can kind of hear the, you know, the transitions coming and, you know, or they sort of, like, they're predictable and, like, you know what's, you know, going to happen. Whereas, you know, even every time I listen to the song, this may be partially due to the pure length of it, but, um, you know, it's, you're always, I'm always just a little bit surprised in that first seven minutes. I'm like, oh, wait, I almost forgot that it goes here, like all the way up high. And then, you know, the, the transition, you know, back down low, it's, it's really nice uh, being able to, you know, listen to it repeatedly and, you know, and hear that seamless transition. Um, I was wondering, Sean, if you could talk a bit about, um, you know, uh, I I know you had put uh, in some of the notes things about fits forming and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Can you talk a bit about that and maybe elaborate on it a bit? Sure. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about overtones, especially in the first half. Um, But does anyone else want to talk about the first half in that regard of the spacious um, extraterrestrial kind of sound? Hunter, Barry, do you want to talk Uh, about more or do you think we're... I mean, we're pretty close. Um, I think one thing to consider is the instrumentation of the ensemble when Mm -hmm. creating that kind of space. Because it is, it's a progressive rock slash metal group, as well as like a full string section and some winds, plus Mm -hmm. a timpanist and a drum set. Um, You know, so creating that space, um, I think a lot of times those of us that primarily exist in the classical realm don't truly understand um, how many different combinations can create essentially the same underlying thing. But what Dream Theater has done is they've combined a couple of different worlds as well as put an electronic keyboard on top of it. Um, And those three layers of things that don't always seem like they are together, I think that adds into the spaciness as much as the literal harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think uh, I know Hunter wants to get to his next point, but if I can add real quickly, I think Nick, if I can talk about the fifths a little bit, it's sort of, and I think that because of the openness of it, you start to hear things on top of each other, like <clears throat> like a circle of fifths, boom, you know. So you yeah. can hear those things that just kind of like overlap one each other, and I think that's what Mary was talking about when we get to the highs and the lows. They just kind oh, of okay. they kind of overlap a little bit, and I think yeah. they create they that's that's what allows for the openness of the sound. Um, okay, Hunter, do you want to add anything to that? Or well, I was just gonna say that you know a, a, another conscious choice, which I think is in. I mean, I I'm not too familiar with the group itself. I'm assuming most of their music is vocal. Mm. Would you say that's true? Mm. No, no, there are vocals in like a good amount of the songs but mm-hmm. there's also plenty of I mean, dream theater you know and I, I think like a lot of other progressive metal bands um they're more actually focused on the instrumentation and everything yeah. else and the vocals are kind of more like you know like the cherry on top right the reason i ask is because Sort of to Sean's point, you know, the, the overtones are born out of like, you know, the, the way the harmonies are combining and, and sort of the overall uh, timbre of the piece. And what's interesting is when the vocals came in, I thought to myself, well, that was a really conscious decision they made because I could honestly imagine a version of this piece where the there were no vocals. The part is still there, but it's being played by just another instrument. And I think the piece would sound as interesting as it does with the vocals so clearly adding them in was they wanted the 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 timbre of voice in there which i think somewhat grounds it a little bit more um because otherwise it's so you know for lack of a better term space age sounding um that i think you need it 
the 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 metal aspect of it, right? That the rock aspect of it needs yeah. the voice in order to bring it back down. No, no uh, pun intended, but to earth. You know what I mean? Hunter, you'll be glad to know that I, I'm not sure. I don't think Dream Theater is re- officially released an instrumental, but plenty of people have filtered the vocals out. So all that's left is just the pure musical genius. Really? That's instrumental genius. So take, do, a, take a listen sometime. I don't know, I'll have to. I had one quick thing to answer my earlier question. The, the Haken keyboard, um, like that model, it didn't come out commercially until 1999. Yeah. Uh, so um, I didn't even realize it, but I went and looked it up because I was being dumb. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't have been possible in 92. They were, uh, well, nine years into its development at that point. Mm-hmm. So guys, if we take a look at the second section, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a way that they go from open spaciness to 80s pop music mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, but it fits so well. I don't. I never. I never knew that outer space and '80s pop would ever actually match. And but it does. Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Well, you know what's funny is you know what's in my notes. What's in your notes? I actually said that um, there's a the, one of the lyrics was um, can't you stop can't you stop what's happening? And at that point, that that's where like you know it picks up into the '80s thing. And mm. I actually noted. It sounds like the soundtrack to F Zero, <laughs> which is basically space age eighties rock. Yeah, that is that is correct. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right with that. And what's also interesting too is you know, uh, it also feels like you know I think I think what also Nick was saying about the coma was it does feel more grounded now. I wrote earthy. But like you can sort of feel it's sort of following now a pulse. It doesn't feel as open anymore. Um, and one of my favorite things is um, uh, right before the end of uh, the, the fingerboard solo, um, I really like how the guy kind of finishes the solo and he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that's pretty cool. Um, so he finishes the solo with that crazy splash. Um, yeah. But you know, um, just kind of hopefully kind of finish up my 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 ad here, which is I also think the opening is and it feels. I mean, you guys can say this right, right, wrong, but it felt Shakespearean. It felt very over the top, outwardly expressive, and you know, it it had this like grounded affect to it as well. Like it helped us lead into that new sound. And then the transition to the uh, acoustic guitar um, was beautiful. And so here's my answer to this question, which is um, how do orchestras and um, progressive rock bands meet? You know, I think this is where they were. And I, you know what, guys? I have a solution. I have the solution to how both of these, these fit so well. And oh, again, I have this in my notes, so it might not be as you know breathtaking as as all my I, my discoveries are. But believe it or not, the way that both of these are able to meet together are because of their tuxedos. Because of their tuxedos. <laughs> because they're dressed so fancy that they get progressive rock music. Think about it. Think wow. about it. I just I just dropped a I just dropped a dime there. Um, and yes, I think it fits so well. And I wrote, uh, this is what I wrote. I said, it blends classical and rock together. And, and maybe tuxes are the actual Elmer's glue we need between both progressive rock and classical music. So, yeah. Um, also, Hunter, mm-hmm. you got to enjoy that flute solo that's in the middle of the piece as well. I think that's so beautiful, so touching. What do you think about it? Again, there were moments of this piece that sort of like, I wouldn't say they were like off. Well, no, I will. I, I, I guess I'd call them off guard. They caught me off guard. Mm. Um, that being one of them. I mean, the, the when the voice came in, struck me off guard or caught me off guard. And then um, there was another part. Where is it? I, I put a note in it somewhere. Oh, not the screaming. Um, it was the, oh, it was actually at the very end. 
It was mm. actually at the very end. I don't know if we're we're there yet, but I'll I'll plug it in there anyway. Okay. Um, Mary, the French horn has the last laugh. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> they it's go, like that cool little the, the flat six, and then mm -hmm. they come back. Yep, and that like I wasn't expecting it, and then all of a sudden it was the. I was like, oh, French horn. It was pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty cool. I'm a sucker for a good French horn in a big orchestral piece when it just rings out over the top of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Maybe Is, that's the maybe that's the Elmer's glue we needed. French horn, progressive rock. More French horn. Yeah, I love it. I'm here for yeah. it. Yeah. See, this, this is why I wanted to discuss this with you guys because all the you're identifying all these instruments that I wasn't sure. You know, from a non-musical background, I, I'm mm. not. I just listen to it and I really love it, but I I can't I can't distinguish between like a French horn and uh, you know whatever else is going on there. <laughs> well, There's a lot going on there at that point. Yeah. You know what's also interesting, guys, is that if we can skip back to the 80s section sounding music mm -hmm. in section two, I found that in section two, um, I felt like there was a moment where it, it kind of started out kind of um, in, in a minor sound. Big time, and then, yeah. and, and, but then if you watch the video uh, physically and sort of like um, – orally minute orally but like visually with your eyes you saw like the light just change and it turned from from like light blue to like to like um you could see like it was bright white you know like you could see like the whole band you could see everybody and the lights were shining and it turned to major and we were kind of like oh yeah here we go all right you know and then it kind of slowly dimmed back to that kind of black um little bit of light blue uh feeling to it so i felt like the it almost felt like it was a show, Nick. It almost felt like it was an actual, like, it was. It felt like a production in a way. Like, it felt like, Hunter, yeah. if I'm wrong, like, it felt like a piece of theater, you know, out of, a, out of a dream, you know, but um, a little bit of that. But I don't know, it almost felt like, but hence the dream theater. Thank you, Nick. It, it feels a little bit like theatrical meets rock but but tell me if you if you thought that the theater aspects of it brought out the piece a little more to whom was that directed that was to you my friend what do you think about it oh moi yeah. um yeah. no i agree i mean it's and i think that's another uh piece of glue as you said yeah. between the the progressive metal world and the um and the classical world is you know there is a showmanship aspect to it usually classical music is seen as like sort of um uh, i of the musicians it's seen as i think the most stoic and yet without being flashy or anything there is a showmanship aspect to it you you're trying to conduct yourself in a way that exemplifies what you think classical music represents sure. you know the idea of elegance the idea of um you know it's mm -hmm. like quote unquote high art you know that kind of not i don't know not, not high art but because what Poise. Yes, poise. There you yeah. go. Um, and putting on that aspect, putting on that show is as much... Why did I just grow on the screen all of a sudden? Um, I got, like, larger. Oh, now I'm, now I'm small again. Um, I don't know what's happening. That's what you said. <laughs> Can you stop what's happening? I don't... I, I, can't, I can't stop it. Um, I think that... Oh, very funny. Um... <laughs> I think that's as much of a performance as, say, a group like this, who it's very clear they're trying to create a almost 4D experience where it's the lights, it's the movement on stage, it's as animated as it is about the music. So that is also a connecting factor. Music in general, obviously, is performance, but um, I feel like as a group, it adds to the level of performance as opposed to, say, a soloist or a duet or something. Yeah. Mary, any thoughts about the second section? Well, um, we had been talking about pop not too long ago. And for me, when it got to the second section and the lights went on, I was like, oh, my God, this sounds like Hotel California. Like, I could <laughs> get eagles out of my head. And it's in the same key, I think. Oh, man. <laughs> pretty That's pretty funny. Certain, Very yeah, triggering like, for Mary. Out of the same, like, main tones in it. And so I, I just could not get the eagles out of my head. So... When, um, I am, forgive me, I just don't know the names, but when the singer came out and added vocals to it later, 
um, that was what really like got me out of uh, comparing it to the Eagles in my head because I had to keep telling me like myself to stop. This is not Hotel California. Yeah, this is Dream Theater, and um, so I think that the the color of his voice, especially, is what brought it back for me. Um, yeah. But it's it's interesting how um, you were talking about it being a production, Sean. Um, because it's like they have written this 25 minute piece to be an axe and mm-hmm. the lights came on and it's all of a sudden in a major key, like these huge cannot miss things happen. Um, it's like, Oh, I guess we are in a different song. No section. Right. This is all yeah. one thing. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, later when we get to like full circle, um, they're already starting to do that. It's like you wake up and then it's a new day mm. and then, you know, you can keep filling in the blanks. Right. So. Nick, how would you describe section two? Uh, when you are saying section two, are you talking about like the seven to 14? Like which, which sort of minute mark are you talking about? Yeah, I think Mary was saying like around seven to 14. Was that what you were okay. thinking? Yeah. Um, so was the flute solo part of the second? I think yes. so. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. So. I, I'm not sure if we've gone to that yet, but the flute solo, you know, is just, it's just incredibly beautiful. Um, and I feel like if, if I was coming out of a coma personally, it would be really beautiful to hear like a flute solo. Like that would just be like perfect. It'd be something nice and gentle just to wake wake me up. It's like um, birds in the morning. Exactly. That's, that's what I would like kind of like. Oh, yeah. So the flute solo kind of gives it like a very, um, it simultaneously gives it a, um, like a lightness, but also like a sadness. Um, mm-hmm. and that what you're saying about Hotel California, I don't know about you, but like when I listen to Hotel California, you know, I, at times it can be a bit sad. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so I, I definitely see kind of some resemblance there. Maybe it could have used some flute too, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could it could add some fluid in there, and um, you know what's also interesting, y'all, about section two is just like like you said, like Nick. If we think about like what Nick said, like waking up from a coma, just starting to realize things, starting to look at things for the first time, trying to kind of all these different things. Um, you know what's so weird is I was going to say. They're like not starting to compare things, and I know Mary was was talking about the relationship to Hotel California, and um, I I sort of almost felt like that section almost sounded a little bit of Lord of the Rings ish to me. I'm not sure if y'all feel about the same way. Like it had this sort of like cinematic feel to it, but I guess that yeah. also kind of goes with Hunter's point about it, kind of following the the narrative of being. Um, theatrical and kind of different and but it almost feels like it almost feels like a hero's journey and that they wake up and they have to go you know it's just kind of like them waking up and kind of seeing what they're seeing and they're kind of admiring all that but you also have to enjoy my favorite part was the first point I mean yes I don't like to make fun of singers but whenever I get a chance I will try but when they go one one of the singer goes my aim with, mm-hmm. That was that was yeah um, he's, super he's, uh, over the top. He has an extremely high pitched voice, mm-hmm. which, uh, well, it's definitely distinct to say the least, and it's it's relatively kind of like I'm trying to think of like another singer who has like kind of like the same sort of sphere of progressive rock who has. Such a high like pitched voice, like a Freddie, Freddie, like a Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Mary, you crossed your arms and gave me a look. What do you want to talk? Yeah, about? I did. <laughs> so, um, 
you're saying, um, I forget how you put it exactly, but what I want to notice, oh, mm-hmm. aim, aim, so that, that inflection that mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. he's giving after it. I think that it's adding a breathiness to what he's doing. So think about it. I, I forget all of the lyrics, but aim at the end of it, he's giving it its own accent in a sense. And so the breathiness, you might think it's over the top and I can understand that. But from my point of view, I see the same um, intention in that, that I do the color of the flute solo. Because this this piece is, you know, there's a whole full circle of life. We are waking up out of a coma. For lack of being too esoteric right now, the most literal way you can take it is we're literally breathing in for section two. And thank you for the, the lyrics. Um, oh, awesome. But, um, you know, we're, we're literally waking up to a certain point and then this flute solo comes out on a silver platter mm-hmm. and Nick's right it's like oh the flute is what wakes me up and makes me want to be alive in the day but the other thing that she is doing as a flute player and I like so much about her timbre is how wide her vibrato is mm-hmm. and how um there, there's just a certain depth to her tone like a lot of um, like the difference between the piccolo and the flute with piccolo, it's more of a lasery kind of vibrato with flute. You can widen it and it's even prettier on alto flute with how dark that instrument is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that inflection you're talking about in, in the vocals, that's one reason that I really loved the vocals for this tune um, because they all add into this kind of human experience that we're getting at. Right. A hunter, you had enough time in, has time to think about in your time out, but um, what uh, what did you want to add about section two? Well, I mean, thinking about where, I, I mean, I'm not sure how far into the piece time-wise two extends, um, but I would say a... maybe, if I can maybe set aside, I think section three begins in the solo, like the solo crazy, like the crazy, yeah, the crazy. that's like figures and stuff like that. I would say that's section three. Section two, a little more tamer than section three. Right. And and my note that I have there is just I think, you know, it's I mentioned F Zero as a as a not as a joke, it was true earlier. But I do think that bands like this, maybe not this group in particular, but I do think bands like this did contribute to the change the, the the metamorphosis that happened to video games from the 80s into the 90s yes. look at like a lot a lot of the 90s video games their soundtracks are totally different from things that come even let's just say 10 years later or five years before there's like a niche period which was when f-zero was around that um when it was you know at its height um and I think that it did sort of push the bounds of like what is acceptable in a video game. Um, they took inspiration because who was playing those video games? People who were into this kind of music now, you know, the younger kids who were being brought up on it. Mm-hmm. And now they're making the move into their careers. So what do they do? They gear the industry towards what they like um, or what they think is edgy, right? And 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 like hip, quote unquote. I realized by saying hip, that makes me unhip. But. Um, <laughs> I was never hip. I was only, born unhip. Hunter, only if you say the word aesthetic and Fabergé egg as a, the only one I think you're hip. That's a thank you. Thank you. That's, you're only hip. That's okay. Um, as you. we reach only as we reach section three, we're reaching into um, Nick's dreamland slash. Uh, it's so exciting for Nick to talk about section three. We're probably walking into Hunter's nightmare for section three. Um, I wouldn't say a nightmare, nightmare. but before we do, Mary, did you have something about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, um, honestly, let's just go to section three. It might come out. Is that okay, Mary? Something general, promise. Okay. (laughs) I don't remember it right now because I'm... Well, (laughs) again, again, Nick and I, um, again, Mary, Hunter, and I, we could really get into, like, the really nitty-gritty about time here because... That's just exactly what happens. It's just kind of all over the place. There's really, it's really hard to like follow the time changes because it gets very choppy. Uh, it's very kind of all over the place. I really like Nick. I really, what I maybe, if you want to talk about this, what's really interesting is what's interesting about this section is that they started to add animation 
to this section, which I think actually kind of almost grounds it because it is so insane and so crazy that you're able to look at the visuals and say, yeah, okay, I get it. I understand what I'm seeing and I like what's kind of going on right now. But but Nick, let's let's kind of break this down. Section three. I mean, this is we're talking about the Haru sway. We're talking about the Haru dance moves and stuff like that. I, I'm sure those are in there at some point. Let's talk about section three. Um, because there is so much happening. There are keyboard solos, there are guitar solos. Guitar solos are unbelievable, if I may add. Um crazy. Crazy. Um, so Nick, help me break down what you think about this section. It makes it so great. Uh, everything. Okay, that's it. I'll take <laughs> an answer and I'll... Okay, go ahead. Uh, so, there's so many, I mean, it's hard to even know where to begin, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, what you were saying about the guitar, um, mm -hmm. the way the guitar, like, increases in intensity, you know, almost reminds me of like a very long staircase mm. and like slowly it's winding up and, you know, it, you know, eventually it kind of reaches the crescendo. Uh, but then um, it kind of takes a break and that's when you get to the, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to find a way to like vocalize it, but um You know, more like there's like a keyboard kind of like solo i think it is mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong um there's several keyboard solos there yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess what i'm what i'm trying to say is um i like how you know it'll increase dramatically and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it'll like take a quick turn right you know, it, it's kind of almost like it takes you close to the edge of the cliff, but then, you know, it takes a step back. Right. And then it goes further. I, I love how it just takes its time. It, it It's not at all, it doesn't at all, you know, feel um, rushed. Um, I think you had put in the notes that, you know, the fingerboard, it feels like it's tripping and moving away. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's very true, mm -hmm. um, especially the yeah. If I might add, it mm -hmm. echoes what the fingerboard did in the opening, mm -hmm. going up and down and up and down and up and more. Exactly. Yeah, it's neat. Nice catch. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's. Um, You know, and toward and as you get like kind of close to, um, you know, the crescendo and to the over the top, might add over the top, you know, vocals and scream of uh, James LeBray. Um, you get kind of like a um, what. The interesting thing is, is that when, you know, the crescendo of the vocals is coming, you know, the guitar and the drums and all that, it's actually pretty steady. Um, so, you know, you would think that, um, you know, when the guitars and the drums and all that were going insane, that that would be when the vocals come in and when the you know, the height of the song is, but actually it takes a step back. Um, and then like the vocal crescendo comes. Mm -hmm. um, Hunter, I maybe want to turn this question towards you. Um, is there an order to this chaos that's going on in section three? Um, well, I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's building to an end, you know what I mean? I think so everything is in aid of a build uh, in terms of like, you know, what what progression is he thinking of or was was the 
I don't know who actually wrote the piece, like which of them wrote it, but in terms of what they were thinking of when they did, I'm not sure if I could really pinpoint that other than they build with, they, they start with just the simplest of instruments, right? The, the one that sort of exemplifies their genre with that crazy, ridiculous, like, I think it's at like 1630. Um, yeah. And that just goes, you know, the guitar goes crazy. Um, until you build, you incorporate it slowly with all the other pieces of the band, the other pieces of the orchestra, until you finally have this massive sound at the end. So I think that's sort of how he chose to order it. And speaking of, um, at 1845, I made this note, 1845-ish, um, while I could do without the yelling, um, there's a speaker just before that, like he's he's speaking yes. the, yeah. the lines. Yeah. And it was like, I felt like Vincent Price should have popped on the screen and like been somewhere there because, you know, he was like the, the voice of horror back. He, he's the one who speaks in Thriller. Um, mm. And yeah, I just felt yeah, like yeah. he should have been there and been narrating it. Yeah, because it like really had that feel to it. First, second, third, fifth. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Calls to admirers. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's just there was, they had such of that vibe to it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's definitely a call and response there. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I want to pose a thought because it's interesting that you bring up call and response with it because this whole third section is. It's basically right before the character goes crazy. Yeah. Mm. Like the entire last section, I mean, uh, just the last stanza, we're stuck in this octavarium. We're trapped in this octavarium. Um, mm. And the whole last section, every like line, it doesn't directly relate to one or another. And it doesn't relate to the rest of the music that has happened so far. So like during section three, a lot of what we're hearing is... Um, like they're talking to a doctor, can you stop this? Can you help yep. me um, get me out of this? And the music you're hearing where it doesn't stop until it gets to the top, that's the, you know, the brain running after a yep. person wakes up after 30 years in a coma. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really interesting um, the types of lyrical choices they make during this section. Um, let's see. For 30 years, where have I been? Eyes open, but not getting through to me. Medicate me, infiltrate me. Um, side effects appear as my conscience slips away. Um, there's no one to blame. Um, a second shot, brief awakening. I can feel the, I feel the relapse, but can't break free. Um, mm -hmm. So we're creating this octavarium trap by accelerating and accelerating, though not from a tempo perspective, from a metric perspective, which I think is what Sean was getting at, because we could go to town about the timing of this entire section. Mm -hmm. So something else I'll bring up, uh, since I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia page right now for the song. Um, so in this section, there's also just a ton of nods and references to other music. Um, so, and that, um, you know, is reflected in the lyrics. So everything from, you know, everybody knows who Jack the Ripper is. Um, uh -huh. There's Owen Wilson, um, Loosing the Sky with Diamonds. Like there's several Beatles references here. Yeah. Um, then there's um, My Generation, The Who. Um, so there's just an absolute, this whole section kind of, in terms of the lyrics, you know, obviously they're trying to describe the, um, you know, the going kind of crazy, but, you know, it's kind of also just a big homage, homage, I think that's how you say it. Um, homage. Homage, that's the, that's the phrase for it, homage to just, um, a lot of their musical influences and heroes as, as a group. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping Nick would know the word homage because we were on Remy, uh, Remy's uh, Ratatouille uh, adventure for about two hours, and it is a kind of cheese. So good for you, my friend. Nick. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I must have not French picked up jokes. that portion. Yikes. Um, so so y'all, we, we reached the end of this piece at a very climatic moment 
a very surreal moment, a real um, extraterrestrial. Maybe kind of like a kind of like a a a, a breath of fresh air, um, in a way, and it almost feels like yes, I think you're right. I do, it does have this um uh this peaceful cadence at the end, the fa me sort of kind of the way it ends um a very church way the the uh, what is it the stars of the p cadence it's the um oh uh, um, what, what are you talking about i'm talking about like uh cadences that go from four to one the plagal plagal that's what i thought that that's that's a word that i haven't said in a long time plagal yes it sounds like a plagal cadence but <laughs> that, that's kind of like really at the end but uh, what's also interesting about this is also Nick. I'm not sure if you're aware, but they say the word Haru in the piece itself. I'm not sure if you're aware, aware about that, but they do say it. it. It's a very small nod to you, but I'm so glad. Oh, okay. They, okay. They, you belong in Octavarium, Nick. You do, in a way. I, you I know, think you do. Um, I would just be so honored. And <laughs> in a way, in a way, it it just it just meshes together. Like everything finally comes together. We're all happy, you know. It's the end of a sitcom. Everybody's laughing, and then we kind of end the the piece itself. Uh, I don't uh, think the person in the coma is very happy, but <laughs> about the end, like he's, being, he's being he's being probably either sedated or going back into the coma. Going back into the coma. Wow, I kind of had the impression that it was a kind of a happy ending, but mm. no, no, Nick, you tell me that. I don't think it's a happy ending. All right, you tell me. Remember about the part about everything moving in circles? Mm, okay. When it go, wakes up, is awake, back down mm. into the slumber. I agree with Nick. It's not a happy ending. Okay. It just sort of seems to me like a chaotic ending. You know what I mean? It's like... A almost swan, not swan song-ish, because it, the concept is that it's not finite, it's not done, but at the same time, I also feel like, you know, it was his his last hurrah to try and get out of the, the cycle, and it was not successful. Okay, okay. I Maybe think, I just listened to the wrong song. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I think you did. I can, <laughs> I can definitely see where you're coming from, Sean. Like, it's okay. not that. We're not all against you. I it's mean, it just, ends in... It ends in oh, don't try to of course we are, Sean. Don't try to flatter. <laughs> I think it's just deceptive. Okay. It's deceptive, okay. It is a plagal cadence, after all. It is a plagal cadence. You're right. A, a minor plagal cadence uh, with that uh, Ray minor lowered sixth for, for Mary. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think y'all are right. It could be right. I could be right as well, but you know, whoever knows, um, it, it's a feeling like it's an opinion, you know, and like I said, it, this climax, it just gets there and it's just so beautiful and it's so epic and so amazing. And it just, it, it reaches, you know, the peaks, you know, um, and almost in a way you can't categorize this piece because it, it shatters all norms of, of musical identity, you know, in a way. So um, anybody's final thoughts about this piece before we well, take a break? Can I real quick? Sure. Um, sure. We have some slam poetry. Do you want to do it or can I do it for you? You can do it. Go ahead, okay. Mary. I believe I in you. Go for it. I not leave Octavarium without at least recognizing the very last set of lyrics sure. because... Sure. Um, Nick's right. I mean, we have a ton of references at a certain point, but like mm -hmm. it is all chaos. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've all said chaos at some point, but mm -hmm. um, the very ending, the words go like this. We move in circles, balanced all the while on a gleaming razor's edge, a perfect sphere colliding with our fate. The story ends where it began. Um, oh. And so when you look at that, that's one way that I, I'm getting this whole like I don't think it's a totally happy ending um, just because they're putting us back to the start as if we're going to wake back up from the coma again mm. you know? and they're just starting a cycle over um, which actually uh, I, I mean this is totally off topic but I helped write a marching band show this summer and one of the things we talked about was doing something that ended how it began and it's, it's interesting how this Ouroboros effect really, truly enters this art form so much. 
Um, but the bigger things get, the more we think about going back to the beginning, the older we get, the more we think about our younger days. Um, you see this phenomenon happen just as uh, human beings where we experience time the way we do to get really abstract about it. Um, but the last stanza, it's so different in terms of what they're trying to say than everything else in the piece. So I just, I think it's interesting that they, that's what they use to like turn it around in some ways. Maybe a sadness that they'll know they'll never feel or hear again. That they know that their, their cycle I, is yeah. repeated. Yeah. Um, not to drop bombs, but Hunter, uh, final thoughts. Um, you know, the ending, it's sort of, I, I sort of see this almost like you're sitting in a planetarium and you see this the sky moving around mm. you, you know, it's like cycling and and eventually that's sort of, you know, your your eyes go crazy after a while. That's sort of the feel I get, like it's driving you out of your mind. And again, it's that cyclical nature. So that's sort of the the vision that I had from it. Okay. Uh, Nick, would you like the final word? Um, I think something we skipped over just a little bit was Okay. You know, the, the crescendo with trapped inside this octoparium. <laughs> and just how much I just love, you know, like I, I just, I really do bump my head and just mm. absolutely, it's like a fit, fist pump kind of. It's a it's a It really is. It's just, yeah. oh my God. It, it's, it's like the entire song. It's just this big emotional release. Right. Nick, I, I just picture it. you in your room, like head banging to this song. <laughs> oh, I've done, I've done it multiple times. Have you? Well, because you know, sometimes my work can get a little boring, so I, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I, you gotta between the podcast, you gotta play some music. Yeah, uh, that's right. So, yeah, you have you, a release. Yeah, you gotta have a release. That's right. You know, but um, yeah. You know, speaking of breaks, um, this is a great oh. time to have one because, you know, uh, we are going to take a break. Sponsored by our friends at Anchor. And oh, if very you'd smooth, like Sean. to support, <laughs> if you would like to support this podcast, please go no. to anchor.com and search Music Speaks podcast to find ways to reach out to us. And you will find our social media and ways that you can contribute to said podcast like hunter always likes this do you have a patreon uh i do have a patreon hunt uh maybe you can set that up for us while we're on our break all right we'll take a break <laughs> we'll come back uh we're gonna listen to some pull me under and we'll be back back after this so stay with us Thank Nick for being here and uh, introducing our podcast to some really super cool progressive rock or metal, depending on your tastes, guys. Um, and we also want to thank Dream Theater. Um, 15 albums is a huge deal. And if we're going to talk about any of Dream Theater, we have to, we had to go Octavarium, right? So at least we got to talk about Pull Me Under a little bit as well. So anyways. Uh, any final thoughts? Talk to Honor then. Uh, oh, okay. Any, any final thoughts on it? Um, no, just that I was pleasantly surprised by the piece. I mean, it's not something I would listen to, you know, on my of my own volition, you know, in my free time. But it's something that I didn't think I would enjoy as much as I did. I mean, it, I, that's kind of why I uh, picked the piece because, you know, I it's pretty complex and. Uh, I figured I could get uh, everybody's take on it, you know, in the process, you know, learn some new things myself. Mm -hmm. You want to you wanna go, Mary? What do you think? I'll chime away. <laughs> well, I mean, I outro it a little bit, you know, Dream Theater is super cool, but Octavarium is just a massive, giant thing. Um, and you really can't get the whole experience until you've listened to it like six times. And truly, I'll go back on this because I said it like three times on the cast. Watching them do it is a completely different, uh, completely different game. Um, and I think, as especially as classical musicians, we don't talk enough about um, like live performances and what you know 
I mean, and classical music live performances are not necessarily the same for an or- from an orchestral standpoint because we're not doing anything, you know, where we're moving. But, you know, it is neat to watch, especially a band like Dream Theater, really get into what they're doing. Um, and, like, the first, like, eight minutes are just watching the guy on keyboards. And it's just too, too cool of an experience. You know, for me, what's interesting is when I think about Dream Theater, it kind of reminds me of like those ads that's like, Sunday, 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 <laughs> in the octagon, blah, blah, blah. It's, but it, it kind of reminds me of that, but it's like, it, it's exciting. I mean, like, yes, Hunter's totally right. This is out of our wheelhouse. But something that I think I said to Nick, something that we need to talk more about. Um, because yes, I mean, we, we did, we, we talked about this a little in the podcast about how classical can meet rock, but what is the, it's the superficial glue that can really push them together. And we really talked about that on the show. So you're going to have to go back and listen to that again. Um, my name is Sean Ancunas. I'm Mary Haddix Hermans. I'm Nick Ariel. And I'm Hunter Sagona and we will see you next time. And remember to keep listening to what you love. Thank you.